If you have your Bible, go to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 will be our text this morning. We're continuing in our runaway series, and I hope by now you're not tired of Jonah. Uh, I feel like we're just kind of getting warmed up, and I anticipate another couple of weeks as we continue to just be amazed at God's love and grow deeper in our understanding of His grace in our lives. I do want to say this morning before we read the Word, there almost needs to be a warning um, that this is going to be intense. And it's going to be intense in this way. One of the things I love about the Bible is it's very, very honest. It gives us the inside view of people who had very serious questions in their walk of faith. Anybody ever been there? That's so refreshing to me. And so this morning, we're going to look at a very intense text, and this is going to be a very intense time. So viewer discretion advised, all right? So let's look here at Jonah chapter 4. I just want us to mainly look at the first three verses this morning. Please stand for the honor of reading God's Word. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is God's Word. Let's pray. So God, my prayer is um, by your Spirit in these next few moments, let us be as honest as Jonah is honest. This is a safe place in your grace to be real with how we feel about life. So do that to the glory of Jesus as we encounter his grace and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. (laughs) We've thought it when we didn't get what we deserved. We've felt it. You ever been at that restaurant when you were there first, ordered your food first, and the table next to you got theirs before you? We've even said it. We're watching the game, and the ref calls 10 fouls against our team and only two against the opponent. And if you have kids, you hear it all the time. It's that little phrase, that's not fair. (laughs) My six-year-old, who is in this service, and about to be embarrassed, says that phrase all the time. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's not fair. (laughs) And that wasn't even her laughing. (laughs) What is it about human beings that demands fairness? 
even from a young age. You know, that was actually the focus of a very fascinating study done at UCLA. What the researchers there did is they did a study on the human brain and how it emotionally responds to fairness. And here's what they did. They put people in pairs, and they gave one person some money, and then that person had to offer a portion of that money to person number two. Person number two could then either receive or reject the offer. And here's what they did. They studied the brain of person number two and how the brain responded to the different offers. And what they discovered was that there was a very big difference in the emotional response based on the different offers in person number two. Let me give you an example. When person number one was given $10 and they offered person number two five, the brain responded positively. That's fair, isn't it? But when person number one was given $25 and offered person number two the exact same $5, the brain responded negatively. In other words, think of it this way. When person number two stood to gain the exact same amount of free money, the brain only responded positively if they thought it was fair. Here's what the research concluded. Quote, the emotional firings that occurred in the brain were fast and automatic. It appears the emotional brain is overruling the rational mind. Faced with a conflict, the brain's default position is to demand fairness. In other words, friends, you and I, whether we want to admit it or not, live with the expectation that life is supposed to be fair. Now, we tell our kids... When they say to us, that's not fair, what do you say? Well, life ain't fair. (laughs) We know that it's not, but that doesn't keep us from living like we think it should be. It's why when we encounter situations that we perceive as not being fair, what happens? We get frustrated, we get irritable, We get offended, and sometimes if we're honest, we get downright angry. And that is exactly what's happened to Jonah in chapter 4. You remember what's brought us here, right? Jonah's the prophet of God who's been thrown into the sea. He's been swallowed by a fish. He's been spit back out onto dry land. He finally goes to Nineveh. And what does he experience? Only the greatest revival in like the history of mankind. So how would you expect Jonah to respond in chapter 4? How would you? Your child hits the home run in the bottom of the ninth to win the game. How do you feel? 
Your business is the fasting, fastest growing, most successful business in the Twin Cities. How do you feel? God single-handedly uses you teenagers to reach your entire campus for Jesus Christ. How would you feel? You'd be excited. You'd be thrilled. It would be awesome. Listen, if Jonah were an American, he would write a book. Because who doesn't these days? He'd write a book. He'd make his millions. He'd go on a evangelism crusades all across America signing autographs, which is why you should be really shocked when you read verse 1. Because it's not what you would expect. It's not how you would respond. Read it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Oh, no, no, no. The chapter 4 doesn't start with, Woo, that's awesome. Man, God, did you see how many people repented? You're not going to believe it. Well, I mean, I know you were kind of there too. But the king even came down off his throne. <sighs> never seen anything like it. It was the most awesome thing. No, no, no. Chapter 4 starts with, God, I'm really mad at you. I'm really mad at you. Which is supposed to make the reader pause and say, what happened? Buddy, Jonah, last we left you, you were doing great, man. What happened? Did your dog die? Did you get your tax statement? Did did you listen to a Justin Bieber album? Did I mean, are you a Minnesota Twins fan? I mean, come on. Who go? Oh, that was too low. It's too low. It's too low. Hey, make fun of Justin Bieber. Don't you touch the Twins, all right? What could cause this level of depression? What's going on? Notice the shift. Look at verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee. When, it, when is the last time you came across that phrase, and Jonah prayed to the Lord? That's how verse 2 starts. It's chapter 2, verse 1. Look at it. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. It's the exact same Hebrew phrase. In other words, chapter 2 starts with a prayer. Chapter 4 starts with a prayer. And here's the point. The prayers are radically different. Let me briefly summarize it. In chapter 2, Jonah's prayer is a prayer of thanks. With the voice of thanksgiving, I cried out to God. Do you remember? But Jonah's prayer in chapter 4 is a prayer of complaint. In chapter 2, his prayer is that of rejoicing. My life was fainting, but I remembered God. But now in chapter 4, his prayer is that of an angry man. In chapter 2, his prayer is that of salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's how the prayer ends. What is his prayer in chapter 4? I want to die. Salvation's the last thing I want. In chapter 2, it is a prayer of hope. I was driven away from your sight, but I looked again unto your holy temple. But in chapter 4, it is a prayer of hopelessness. Jonah's prayer life has gone from adoration to God 
to accusation to God. And we'll talk about why in just a moment. But I want to tell you what's happened first. Jonah has relapsed. He's right back where he started. He is emotionally and spiritually where the book started. He has gone from rebellion to salvation to victory right back to rebellion. Does that sound familiar? It's not just Jonah's story, it's our story. Because can we be honest this morning, the Christian life is not this constant climb on the mountain of God. This living in a spiritual high every moment of the day. That may be your experience, but it's not mine. The experience of the Christian life is more like we fight with sin and we experience grace and victory and then we round the corner and we're fighting with sin again only to experience grace and victory and back and forth and back and forth. Relapse happens in the walk of faith. It's like a man who shared about his grandfather one time. His grandfather was a leading worship leader in the Midwest. He was loved by his church. He was loved by his denomination. He was respected by his family. And when he passed away, his grandson came into town, and he did what a lot of family members do. He went through his belongings and went through his things, and, you know, you're going to see what you're going to keep and what you have to get rid of. And he went down into the basement. He was going through things in the basement, and he came across his grandfather's porn collection. And it hit him. What hit him was that he always wondered why. When his grandfather, this worship leader, would sing the hymn, Come Thy Fount, and got to the line, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love, he broke down into tears every time. He said, I always wondered why. Now I know. But this is what he also said. The problem was, my grandfather was never able to be honest about his struggle because in our denomination, Christians weren't allowed to have basements. I told you last week, we have to be honest about the nature of sin. We have to be honest about what it is before God. We must hate it. We must turn from it. We must repent of it. Yes and amen. But let me be equally as clear about this. We must also be honest about the reality of sin. Even for Christians. You say, whoa, 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 wait. The Bible says that we are called to be separate. Yes. You say, wait a minute. The Bible says that Christians are to be holy as God is holy. Amen. You know what the Bible also says? 
The apostle John says, he who says he's without sin is a liar and the truth of God is not in him. Do not think that there will not be points in your life when you hear the rooster crow. And this is why I hate religion. Because religion says, try your best to act like there's no basements so that you're squeaky clean. Here's what the gospel says. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're received basement and all. And what the Christian life is about is in time with fighting, with battling, Jesus moves in your basement as well. Jonah is right back where he started. But at least he's honest about it. And why is he right back where he started? Verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What's the it? What's the it? The it is the verse right before it, which is the last verse of chapter 3, and here's what it says. When God saw what they did, Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, they repented, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Here's the it. You ready for the it? The it is God's forgiveness of Nineveh. Here's what Jonah's doing. You ready? All right. Here we go. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Lower the boom. Insert lightning bolt. Smite them, almighty smiter. Ready, set, go. And God looks at Jonah and says, I'm not going to do that. I've received their forgiveness. I'm not going to judge them. And Jonah realizes in that moment this. You've got to get this. You've got to get this. Jonah realizes in that moment that the purposes of Jonah and the purposes of God aren't the same. And it sends him into a relapse of sin. Why? Sin is really good comfort food when life isn't going your way. He has relapsed because he realizes he's not going to get what he thinks should happen out of life. And here's his response. It's not fair. It isn't. And let me tell you, can we be honest this morning? I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Three reasons why it's not fair. Number one is God isn't fair to Nineveh. God is not fair to Nineveh. God's grace towards Nineveh reminded Jonah of something. Here's what it reminded Jonah of. I hate Ninevites. They don't... They deserve 40 days, and you're going to be overthrown. That's what they should get, and you're telling me they're not going to get that? You see, if the it of verse 1 were Israel, Jonah would be a kid at Christmas. 
you're going to relent from pouring out justice and judgment on Israel? You're so cool. But when it's Nineveh, he's mad. It reminds me of a man named Henry Garrick. Henry Garrick was an American chaplain serving in Germany. His ministry was extremely unique. What he did is weekly he went to visit the prison of Germans who had committed violent crimes during the Holocaust. They were awaiting execution. And on October the 16th, 1946, Garrick walked with those men that he'd been ministering to to their execution. When the first man stood up and put the noose around his neck, they asked him, do you have any last words? Here's what the man said, quote, I place all my confidence in the Lamb who made atonement for my sins. May God have mercy on my soul. You know who that man was? Jehoiakim von Ribbentrop. Adolf Hitler's foreign minister. He, along with many others, about a year before their death, had put their faith in Jesus Christ through Garrick's ministry. But do you know what happened when Garrick returned home? He was hated. They called him a Jew hater and a Nazi lover. You know why? They didn't have room in their theology for saved Nazis. Jonah has no room in his theology for forgiven Ninevites, which begs this question, dear friends, you're going to have to answer before this book is over. Who is your Ninevite? You have one. I have one. It's that person or group that you would rather see receive justice instead of salvation. It's those disrespectful teenagers with their pants half to their knees and listen to rap music. It's those uneducated rednecks who go to NASCAR races and have mullets and Dale Earnhardt tattoos. That's half my family, so watch it. You know, the three with the little wings on it? Yeah, you know. It's those uppity types who go to musicals and sip their tea and wear their skinny jeans and everything's got to be organic. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> it's the Japanese after Pearl Harbor. It's Muslims after 9-11. It's the drunk driver who is responsible for the death of one of your family members. It's the father who walked out for no reason at all. It's the ex-spouse that ripped your heart out. It's the boss who fired you without warning. You want me to be honest? I'll be honest with you. Come on, God. Don't you of all people know there are sinners and then there are sinners? 
I mean, sure, I'll be honest. There are people like me that don't have their whole act together, and we're not perfect, and we've got our issues, but we don't belong in the category over here of people that don't deserve your love. Come on! God, sometimes you're just a little too merciful for my liking. If I don't keep my eye on you, you'll give away the store. (laughs) We laugh, and it's good to laugh, but I tell you, friends, there are times when the love of God doesn't make any sense at all. Jonah is not asking the question that everybody wants to ask. How come bad things happen to good people. Jonah's actually asking the right question, how do good things happen to bad people? The only problem is Jonah has forgotten once again he belongs in the category of bad people. The Bible does not say, well, there are sinners and then there are sinners. The Bible says there are sinners. And God loves them. And until God's love offends you and makes you angry, you probably have never understood the love of God. Because it's not fair. I know it's not. It's why it's called grace. You're not fair to Nineveh. I'll tell you what else you're not fair about while we're being honest. You're not even fair to Jonah. Look at verse 2 again. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Here it is. That is why I made haste to flee. Here's what Jonah is saying. All right, we're being honest. I'll keep being honest. You knew this is what I did not want to happen. Remember, God, back in chapter 1, it's why I ran in the first place. My worst dreams are coming true. And you knew it. That's what makes me so sick, is that you knew in chapter 1, this is why I didn't want to go in the first place. But what happens? You go off and do the very thing I didn't want to have happen. Is this how you treat your loyal customers? Is this how you treat the longtime church members? Oh, sure, you want your little Jonah to be loyal. Why don't you be loyal for a change? It is raw anger at God. Because to Jonah... It's a trade-off. You serve God, He'll serve you. You give to God, He'll give to you. You do what God wants, He'll do what you want. Isn't that fair? Sure, if God's a vending machine. (laughs) Everybody at some point in the Christian life has come to have to be this honest. Right here. Why is it that the undeserving get what they don't deserve? And the deserving don't get what they feel they do? 
And that's not the last time that question is going to get asked. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable about a master who comes out to day laborers. Do you remember that? And he hires them at all different times throughout the day. Some in the very early morning, some in midday, some at the very end of the day. They work like an hour tops. And at the end of the day, the master comes. And what does this master do? He pays all of them the same. And he's not only so unfair as to pay them all the same, he pays the last first. And so those that worked all day long in the hot burning sun hear what's happened and they do what no church member has ever done. They start grumbling and complaining and fussing and questioning the fairness of the master. And here's what the master says, Matthew 20. Verse 15, am I not allowed to do with what I choose what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first shall be last. What's the question there? How is it fair that the last get to go first? Luke 15 the prodigal son returns home from his rebellious living. His father throws up p -p -p parte for his son, all in his honor. How does the older brother respond? See if this rings a bell to you. Luke 15, verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Translation, why be obedient if you don't get anything? Why be loyal if the party's not in your honor? Do you see? God, you're not fair to your loyal ones. And here's the word of God to us. If you don't stop and count your blessings and name them one by one, you're going to end up a very, very grumpy, grumpy Christian who is always angry that life's not fair. Start with the fact that God owes you nothing, and you'll begin to see how much God's grace has come in your life. Jonah, here's an idea. Be thankful that I've given you the same grace I gave Nineveh. Vineyard worker, be thankful that you were hired and paid fairly when you didn't have to be. Older brother, rejoice that you're in the family and the inheritance is yours. There is no entitlement mentality in the kingdom of God because we don't belong there. It is only grace that led us in and grace that leads us home. And therefore, there it should be, when we understand that, a gratitude 
not an entitlement. And notice where this entitlement, you weren't fair to me. You knew this is why I ran. Look at where it leads Jonah in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Here's what's happened. Not only has he relapsed into sin, he has relapsed into despair. Do you remember back in chapter 1 when he's down at the bottom of the ship and he's like, I don't even care anymore. In fact, if you want to throw me in the stinking sea, fine by me. I'd rather die. That's where he is again. And here's why. You've got to take this home with you. When, you're re- when your reason for living is to get what you want, and you don't get what you want, you lose your reason for living. Teenagers, When your friendships are to get what you want and you don't get what you want, you'll die to your friends. Faith family, when your church is about getting what you want and you don't get what you want, you'll go somewhere else. More seriously, when your relationship with God is about getting what you want and you don't get what you want, you'll die to Him. It's not fair. I know, it's why it's called grace. And only grace, dear Christian, can lift you up out of the despair that you have sunk down into. He's not fair to Nineveh. Not even fair to Jonah. And then this may be the worst accusation of all. God's not even fair to God. Read the verse again, verse 2. Midway through. For, now, you have to translate this in the emotional context of the passage. All right? Which is verse 1. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. What does that mean in context? Here it is. God... You're not acting the way I think God should act. You want me to be honest? Hey, we're being honest. Let's be honest. I knew you to be merciful, but I think you should have been wrathful. I know, God, I know you're slow to anger. I think your anger should be immediate. I don't even think you should have given them 40 days. Here's what I know. I know that you're abounding in steadfast love, but what I think is that your love should have run out a long time ago. I don't think that you're acting the way God should act, and I'd rather die than serve you. That is how deep it has gotten for Jonah. Are we allowed to be this honest at church? Too late. But it sure beats being fake. 
our tendency when life doesn't go our way and we think that at the core of that it's God not being fair to us, his purposes and our purposes are not the same, here's what we'll have a tendency to do. We will have a tendency to create a different God that's in our image. Here's what it looks like. I hear it all the time. Well, my God is just. Okay, Jonah. My God is a God of love. Oh, no, how about this one? My God is pro-America. How about this one? My God would never send anybody to hell. That's not your God. That's you making yourself God. Because all you've done is taken your own value system and fashioned it into an idol you've now called God. And if you're not careful, that's where despair will drive you. Instead of trusting God with all your questions, with all your hurts, with all your angers, with all your misunderstandings, with all your confusion, instead of trusting Him, you try to become Him. Jonah relapsed into sin because life didn't go his way. And at the core of that was he didn't think God was fair. And three things surfaced in his life. Check yourself here. One was anger, frustration, irritable. Two was despair. Why even try anymore? I don't even care. What's the point? Third was idolatry. Fine. I'll find a church. I'll find a belief system. I'll even find a God that suits my agenda. When that happens, what's happening is what D.A. Carson calls the de-godding of God. It's where we've taken God off the throne of our life and put ourselves there. The de-godding of God of God. This is deep. So how does God respond? This is how we're going to close. We'll pick this back up next week here, but I do want us to look at verse 4 as we end. Here's God's response. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Guys, faith family, I just don't understand the grace of God. It's just amazing. Amen? It's just amazing. Here's why. Because the grace of God, here, here it is again. It came to Jonah in a storm, it came to Jonah in a fish, it came to Jonah in a, a second chance, and now it's coming to Jonah again in the form of a question. You said, what do how is this question an act of God's grace? Here it is. Because it is extremely patient. I want to read from you from the King West translation. I don't know if you have that copy there in the seat back. If you do, take that out and look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 4 in the King West version, and here's how it reads. And West said, you ungrateful, pathetic, arrogant, smug little punk. 
That's how my Bible reads. Wouldn't yours? Because if I'm honest with you, here's where I'm at. Insert lightning bolt. Jonah wanted Nineveh to receive justice. I want Jonah to receive justice. Smite him, almighty smiter. Ready, go. But here's what God does. He comes to Jonah and says, based on everything I've done for you, based on all the grace that I've shown you, based on all that I have blessed you with, do you do well to be angry? Do you really have reason to be angry? Aren't you glad that our God not only receives the repentance of Ninevites, He also receives His children when they're angry, pouting, and fuming mad? Our God says to us, you can come on in too. I will receive you in your anger, questions at all, because you're only going to find healing for your anger in the arms of God. You say, how do, how do you know that the answer is only in God? You're telling me that the answer to Jonah's anger in this question is in the arms of God? Yeah, here's why. Because what is this passage about? It is about someone who pours out their unrighteous anger because the undeserving find grace. Because the obedient one suffers when those disobedient ones get saved. It's because God is merciful when He shouldn't be. And that, dear friends, is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, no, no, no. It's not Jonah. It is God who pours out His righteous anger on sin at the cross. Why? So that the undeserving could find grace. Insert lightning bolt. It is at the cross. That the obedient one, the true obedient one, suffers so that all the disobedient ones could be saved. It is at the cross that God is merciful when he should not have been. Jonah's anger is answered in the cross of Jesus Christ because Jesus not only faces the righteous anger of his father, he faces the unrighteous anger of a crowd screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him.
And in that moment, Jesus did not think it. He did not feel it. He did not say, this is not fair. What he did is he looked into the eyes of an exceedingly angry crowd and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's unfair. And I will forever be grateful for a God who has not been fair to me. Let's pray. God, I pray that in your spirit you would um, you would set us free. Um, there may be some in this room who have basements that need to be addressed. There may be some in this room who have anger. There may be some in this room who have a prejudice towards other people. Um, but all of us need to collide with your grace right now. There's freedom there. There is freedom there. Because we've already been accepted in Jesus. We don't, we don't have to this morning be a, ashamed in the sense of we're trying to earn anything from you. We can rest in your grace. An, an outrageous, truly mind-blowing love that not only saves the Navites, but receives angry prophets. So give us the same raw honesty that Jonah had. That we would meet the same love that Jonah met. I ask it right now. To Jesus' glory. Amen.